How many of you know someone that uh, is just a, a gracious, thankful person all the time? You know someone like that? My mother's that way a lot. And uh, she'll call if we, when we go over to see her. And she'll call on the way home. I just automatically know it's mom calling. We just left there five minutes ago just to thank us again. She's 88. She'll come to the back door. And uh, she has a walker. She's supposed to have a walker. She does have one. There are times she knows that I know she doesn't use it. She'll open the back door, look out the driveway as far as she can lean. Then she'll come out the back door, head toward the car as we're backing out of the driveway. And then five minutes later, she'll call. I just want to say thanks for coming. Then when I talk to her the next morning, she'll say, I really appreciated y'all coming last night. And I want to say, okay, thank you. So that's, that's my mother. Pursuit of happiness, it's great to be grateful. And we're going to talk about it because Paul deals with it in the book of Philippians here. Book of Philippians, a love chapter. It's a chapter expresses appreciation, or a book that expresses appreciation for everything. But he, uh, he knows some of us. And he knew the people at Philippi, that arrogant city, many of them located in the church. And so he says to them in Philippians 2, verse 14, let's read it together. Here it is. Everybody on three. One, two, three. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Can we read it again? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, how you doing with that? Everybody good? <clears throat> Nobody grumbled last week? Say amen. <clears throat> Anybody argue on the way to church? How many of you couples have argued over your driving habits or bad habits? May I see your hand? How many of you have a co-pilot that would like to tell you which way to go and when to slow down? May I see your hand? That's right. Um, do everything. You young people listen. You young couples listen. Do everything. Everything. Without grumbling and without arguing. So why don't we have what I call a no complaint day? You think we could do that? A no complaint day. I mean zero complaint. You don't have to leave right away. I'm not, I'm not even the message yet. <laughs> don't you? Oh, she left her purse. We know she's coming back. You looked in that purse? Might be something in there. You hear anything ticking? Okay. So when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, and you raise up from washing your face or whatever, and you take a good look at yourself before you yawn. No grumbling. All right? When you get on the scales, let everything that hath breath <laughs> praise the Lord. Hello? When... When you go to the office and you know old Mr. Cranky or Miss Cranky is going to be there, no grumbling. 
You get in the car and traffic backs up, no grumbling. You go to look for the remote control, sir, you can't find it because you know the kids have it somewhere, no grumbling. I could go on and on and on, do everything without grumbling or without arguing is what it says. Now, grumbling is this. Grumbling in my study and research of the Scripture here uh, is a way to rationalize disobedience to God. Let me say this. God does not approve, nor does He appreciate or like grumbling. That means that He has a problem with grumblers. He doesn't like arguing just for the sake of arguing. Some people would argue no matter what. You know anybody like that? Say amen. Oh, my gracious alive. You see, because grumbling chokes a person's heart, their perspective, it clouds their vision, it takes their joy away. And if you grumble, here's what will happen. Other people who like to grumble, other people who like to murmur, will come over and begin to pay attention to what you have to say. And before you know it, that grumbling's turned to flat-out gossip, and it'll create a relational disaster like cancer. Well, how do you know? Did it just start? No, because in the Old Testament, when God delivered the people of Israel in the book of Numbers there, we find 11 different times, 11 different times when God delivered those individuals out of slavery, out of Egypt, they were guilty of grumbling about what it was that they didn't like in God's deliverance system. They didn't like it at all. After being in prison in bondage there for 400 years. And finally, they're out and they still manage to grumble. But God did something about it. And it's uh, severe. And I'm going to tell you that in just a moment. You see, they grumble because they didn't like the food. They didn't like the appetizers. They didn't like the main course. They didn't like what they had to drink. Only one choice, just plain water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they just grumbled. Here is the God of the universe who sent a man of God in there to get them delivered. And what are they doing? You'd think they ought to be praise happy. What do they do? They just grumble, grumble, grumble. So Romans 1, 21, here's what Paul writes. For although they knew God, talking about these people, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Futile thinking and their hearts darkened. Why? Because expressing murmuring and grumbling and arguing weights you down away from having the joy of the Lord as your strength. Well, I'm just not a positive person. I just, that's not my DNA. Well, let me just tell you the flat-out truth. If Jesus Christ came in and redeemed you, behold, the old stinking man that used to grumble all the time is now changed and has the privilege and the potential to say, no more grumbling for me. It's praise and thanksgiving unto Almighty God. Come on, help me preach, somebody. We know that. Wow. Those of you that might employ people, you supervise people. You don't anxiously, when it comes time to give raises and say, you know, I think I'm going to give them a 10% raise. And why are you going to do that? Because I tell you, of all the grumblers we got here at work, that person is the best grumbler I know. Let's give them a 10% raise. You know what most boss people do? They ain't getting nothing. 
All they ever want to talk about is what they don't have. All they ever want to talk about is how bad it is. All they want to do is talk about how difficult it is. They don't, they're not getting a thing. Y'all with me? Yeah. So you got the God of the universe. Guess who just gave you your last breath? He did. Amen. He did. He did. So Paul's dealing with this because the church at Philippi was an arrogant group of high-nosed individuals that were more concerned about what they had, what they were going to get, and how they were going to get it, and a pecking order that says, if you're not up here, you do not deserve to live. And so Paul writes, they didn't glorify those people who were delivered out of Egypt. They didn't glorify at all. And Paul not only speaks to the church at Philippi, he speaks to the church at Corinth. And this is what he says about those that grumble back in Moses' day, he said, listen, Corinth, listen, Philippi, listen up. This is what the Bible said. And do not grumble as some of them did, speaking back at Moses, and were killed by the avenging angel. God said, I, I'm fed up with it. No more. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send an angel and going to take care of the grumbling. And for the grumbling to stop, if you can't learn of the learned behavior to not grumble and be praiseworthy. He says, you won't exist anymore. And that's exactly what he did. And we perk our ears up and say, wow, that's really interesting. You see, we have to be purpose-driven in the way that we conduct our lives. So how do you become uh, more thankful? How do you become uh, less, less of a grump, grumpy person? Here it is. You come to the realization that you acknowledge out of humility that you owe a debt to God that you can never repay. In the spiritual, hey, you look at your kids. You have school children. They're healthy. They're good. They go to school. You look at your grandkids. Look how blessed they are. Look at your kids of how God's favored them. Go outside in your yard or your lawn and look back and say, God, I've been in that house now for 30 years. It's been a real blessing. And you say, God, that could have never happened because I know that I have a debt that I cannot pay. But in spite of me, you have blessed me over and over and over and over again. It's humility to say, I owe a debt to God. Here's the other thing. You owe a debt to somebody else. You owe a debt to your parents. You owe a debt to your brother. You owe a debt to your co-workers there to say, hey, we didn't get here. But Victory Church is not 30 years old because we did it on our own. We stood on the shoulders of other individuals and declared God is the glory and gave him praise and honor. And it was because of the hard work and the dedication of people that were before us that we enjoy what we enjoy today. Y'all with me? So we owe that. Children, you owe gratitude to your mom and dad, and you don't even have to like them. But you owe it. You owe it. You owe it absolutely. You see, we understand there are a lot of people that are ungrateful, ungrateful people. People ungrateful, how difficult is that? You see, people think, okay, I'll be grateful if you give me, if you give me more. If you give me, I'm, I'm grateful for you. Oh, man, it's our anniversary, and you bought me a nice, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, bison or byron or what's that jewelry that ladies wear? Uh, 
Brighton. Bryson is buffalo meat, isn't it? Okay. Bryson, okay, I'm sorry. It's a wrong wrist. <laughs> but Brighton, oh, you got that nice Brighton bracelet. That's right, darling. No, nothing too good for you. Um, you know that? Well, I'll be thankful. Otherwise, you never say one word. Sir, <laughs> next time you go home and the bed's made, you look around. Don't think, well, the little woman finally got things done around here. Don't think it and let her hear you. But you go in the bathroom and it's clean. When you go to your, when you go to your, your dresser drawer and you pull out nice, clean underwear. After you messed them up, sweated in them, stunk them. She cleaned them. Every time you do it, you ought to say, darling, I got to tell you, I'm grateful. If you have the attitude, well, what is she supposed to do? I'm supposed to thank her for doing what she's supposed to do. Y'all with me? You ought to be thankful. You ought to say how wonderful it is. If she finally cooks a meal, you ought to say this is the best meal I ever ate. Amen. And then let me say this. If you've been married to her for 20 years and she still looks fine, no matter what she looks like, you ought to say, oh, my Lord, have mercy. You got me going. I tell you what, looking at you reminds me of the beauty of a sun setting on the surface of the mighty ocean in the West, darling. When I look into your eyes, it thrills my heart beyond my ability to express to you what you mean to me. You put goosebumps up my arm, down my back, and makes me want to reach over and grab you and pick you up if I could. Now I can get going. That's right. Just being thankful. What do you think she's going to do when you do that? She's going to ask, first off, give me your social security number to figure out if you are really, or if you're an imposter. And if you do that, you know what she's going to think? She's going to think, wow. He must have really listened to the message on Sunday morning. It's been a real change. You see, here it is. We want to be grateful. But if you did that and say, only, only I'm grateful when I get stuff, just do that to your kids. Treat your kids in a way that says, okay, listen, darling, I want you to be thankful. And here's, here's some more money. Here's another gift card. You want new shoes, I'll give you some more shoes. You already have 50 pair, but we'll give you more. We'll take you over to Disney, et cetera, and just keep giving and giving. Mommy, I'm thankful. And, every, and you teach them the fact that they are to be thankful because of what you do, and, and you do what you do because you want them to be grateful. You can forget it. You're going to raise a spoiled brat. And you know what a spoiled brat is? It's like fruit that's rotten. And if you don't think that won't come back to harm somebody that happens to marry them later on. I'm just giving you a yard talk this morning. It's it. Because what are we supposed to be? Why would Paul write to the church at Philippi if it's not a point? Why would he write to the church at Corinth if it's not a point? 
Because you know what? We live in a world today. Let me, let me give this point. We live in a world today that the people that have more than any other nation in all the world, the people that have the most are the ones who are grateful the least. But the people that do not have anything, And they work hard, hard, hard. And they wouldn't know what it is to have near what you have. And you bless them. You know what they do over and over and over again. They'll say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They have the least, but they're most gracious. That should not be. It just should not be. But yet we find that's what our culture so here's what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. We got that down. So that you may become blameless and pure. That's why you do it. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Notice, in which you shine like stars in the universe. In other words, he said, if you practice that, you'll be the bright and shining star in a depraved culture. Amen. Would you agree, ponder it in your heart, that we live in a me first culture? Yes. I mean, just wait till Christmas or wait till they put a blue light special on, open the doors at Walmart, open the doors at Best Buy, turn on the video cameras, and watch them come through that door. It's not like Oh, let me prefer you. It's pushing, shoving, biting, scratching, clawing to be sure that they get their flat screen television first. That's the culture. And Paul says that shouldn't be, certainly should not be in the church. Do everything without complaining or, in fact, arguing. We know that. Philippians 4.10, but greatly rejoice in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Paul is telling them, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a love book and it's a thank you book. And then he says, I don't want you to misunderstand. Why do you fulfill the first that I read? He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need. I'm not saying to you be grateful. I'm not saying I'm thankful because I'm in need for I've learned, learned to be content, whatever my circumstance, I know what it is to be in need, what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Amen. So he says, hey, I'm thankful and grateful when I don't have anything. I'm grateful and thankful when I have everything. Why? Because my gratefulness is not about things, not about what I have or the lack thereof. My gratefulness is a characteristic that comes from the person of who I am in Jesus Christ. I have a debt that I cannot pay, and I need to let him know I have a debt to you that I cannot pay. Let me ever so often be thankful a great, great, great paradox. A guy named Sean Anker, who was the leading researcher at Harvard University in this uh, expertise and field, he was on the field of happiness. He spent several years on the field of happiness. What does it take to make people happy? What, what do they go through? He used the Bible a lot, and uh, he'd been studying it. 
And so he thought, okay, I want to go to Africa. So he went to South Africa to the township of Soweto. Soweto in the township there of South Africa. And he had uh, about 200 students in that area that were studying. They, they really had hardly any running water. It was um, kind of an outstation there out of the main uh, metropolitan area there in South Africa. Did not have air conditioning in classrooms. And he thought, how can I relate to this people? I know my Harvard students really well, but how can I, how can I relate to them? So he thought, okay, here's one common thing that he thought is universal, and it's this. He said, how many of you, to these students, how many of you, how many of you like to do homework and schoolwork? He thought he'd have an immediate connection. 95% of those students stood up and raised their hand as high as they could say, we love schoolwork. We love homework. It startled him. He thought, if I'd asked that in my Harvard classes, nobody would raise their hand. And here they're raising their hand. They're raising their hand. They like homework. They like schoolwork. And this is what he came to find. He found out that those students were going to class and doing homework and doing schoolwork because they knew that in order to get out of their poverty-stricken area, in order to have a chance where they could at least have one meal a day on their table, in order to have a chance to bless their mom and their dad, they had to apply themselves. That some of them were not natural in academics and they had to study real hard. And if studying real hard is what it took to get good grades to get them out of there, they stood and said, we love the homework. Why? Because the homework took them where they knew they would never get to go if they didn't have the homework and didn't have the schoolwork. We look at things often in our culture like the Harvard students. We don't often look at those kind of things like those in Soweto, South Africa. We love homework. The next time you're grumbling about maybe what you don't have, the next time you're grumbling about, well, I got the short end of the stick, you might think of that. You might think, God, I'm privileged any way that I look at it. I heard one person say about an event, they're going to attend, and I love the word that they used. I'm honored to be able to go. Honored. I'm honored to have the privilege to be on the bus. I'm honored to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. And then some are like me. I'm just going to confess here. I'd, how many of you do not like standing in long lines? Okay, let me rephrase it. How many of you, hey, I love standing in line. Just get in there and stand. I wave because I'm having problems seeing if you like long lines. Yes, sweetheart, God bless you. Thank you. Eight years old. I've said this before, but I feel to confess again. I've actually paid people to stand in line for me. It's like Chick-fil-A. Lines are backed up. And in McDonald's one time, it was, I don't know, a bus unloaded. And I thought, gracious alive, 
If I don't get something to eat within the next 20 minutes, I'm going to die of starvation. I don't know why you are laughing. So I walked up to the skinniest student there that was about three back from the register. I said, what are you planning to get? He said to me, I'm going to get a cheeseburger. I'm going to get a fry and a small Coke. I said, good, that's a happy meal. That's a happy meal for you. I said, I'll tell you what. I took $10 out, gave it to him. I said, here's what I want you to do. You get your happy meal. You get your happy meal. You get me my meal. Here's what I want. I want my quarter pounder with cheese. I want my supersized fry. And give me a small drink because the fountain is free. Don't get a large. Get the small drink and keep filling it up at the fountain. And here's $5 extra to do it. I stood over there. I waited for probably less than 10 minutes. He walked over. Here's the $5. You keep the change on the other. I got my meal. By that time, I had my ketchup. I had my salt. I had my toothpick. I had all of that. That resolved my standing in line. Here's another thing that I do that I'm confessing to you. At Publix or any other place I'm checking out, there are good cashiers and there are not so good. What I mean is, if I see a cashier and she's pulled up a can of tomatoes and she's doing... She's new. A seasoned cashier knows where the mark is on the can. Y'all with me? I look. I look at the line, and if you got one that knows how to throw the cans through there, that's where I want to go. I also look and say, this person has run three people through here. This person is still on the first customer. Then I'll take my buggy if I'm in a line, and I'll move over there. I'm just confessing. Sometimes I have regretted that. (laughs) But but most of the time, I win. How many will pray for me? Thank you so much. Just tricks to the trade. You watch it. See, but then what helps me, because I said, wow, I don't like waiting Sharon says, why don't you get in a line at traffic? Here's what happens. I look at the cars. I look at the cars and I watch the lanes to see what lane is moving. If this one's got brake lights, I move over here. Anybody with me? I'm trying my, are y'all with me? Am I up here by myself or what? I'm looking for the lane that's going to move. Amen. You look for that lane that's going to move. I don't get in the lane with semis, hello, box trucks, city buses, school buses, not stay out of that lane. I get over here, amen, where you can get on through the line. That, that's just me because I don't, just, just patient. In drive throughs at Chick-fil-A, do not get behind a van. 
If it's a van, when they get up to order, there are a whole lot more people in that van than in that little sports car where there's only one person in there. Get in there, even if they're four cars back. Because when the van gets up there, they're going to order for everybody. Everybody understand? No order for everybody. She get back. But what helped me is this. I looked over to the right. There was a paraplegic. Now I'm saying, oh God, this traffic, etc. He's paraplegic. He was over the side by himself. Nobody was paying attention to him. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if he were to get healed miraculously and able to get up out of that wheelchair and walk on his own and happen to wind up in a line that had 10 people in it, do you think he would complain about having to stand in a line with 10 people because he was no longer restrained by that wheelchair? And you know what the answer is? Nope. He'd just be grateful that he was able to get up, get out, and get in line and stand. Jesus says, that's what I did for you. I rescued out of the paralysis of death when you had no hope and you had no future. And I reached my hand down and I redeemed you. Now instead of your mouth complaining all the time, murmuring all the time, grumbling all the time, arguing all the time, why don't you just let me use a little phrase in Greek, why don't you just shut up <laughs> and be grateful that you have a place at the table. Amen. Amen? That touched my heart. Finally, here we go, wrap it up. How many in Luke's gospel remember the stories, the story of the ten lepers? Got? I got to do a better job at preaching because only one-fifth of you raised your hand. Okay, how many has ever heard about the story of the lepers? Read it? There are ten of them, right? Okay, Jesus walked by. They were all healed. What did he say? Go to the priest. Talk to the priest because that was a process. You can be healed. So nine of them, ten of them took off. Nine of them got there, and they were healed. The tenth one, he was healed. Now, if you were to ask the nine that, that were healed, if you were to ask the nine, are you grateful to the man who just told you what to do and you were healed, what do you think they'd say? Yes. yes, sir. I am ever so grateful. I was bound by leprosy. He healed me. I am grateful. I am thankful for that. But one was not only thankful. He went back to the source and fell down at his feet and said, I want to express it to you personally. Thank you for healing me.
And Jesus said, oh, you're not only going to get healed physically, but you're about to get healed spiritually because he cooked time. Andy Stanley said, in our culture, here's what happened. He said, in our culture, if you fail to express your thanks, people see it as ingratitude. But when you take the time to make a phone call, and you take the time to say, I just want you to know, in case I forgot how grateful I am for what you did for me. And do that ever so often to someone who's given you favor. You are the benefactor of God's blessing in your life. You'll be a happier person as a result of that commitment to say, thank you. Amen? Why? Because I have a debt that I can't pay. Thank you, Jesus. I have a debt that I can't pay to guys like the Ortegas family who are here every service, who serve with open hearts, who give of themselves daily in every single area. Victory Church would not be as strong without people like you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen? Thank you. Let's give the Lord a thank you offering, will you? Okay, I think, I think I've got the point. I've got three or four pages left, but I do believe we caught it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? Heavenly Father. We are grateful today. We want to say thank you because we know that we love you and we know that you've been good to us and we appreciate it. We want you to know that when we gather around a meal, we're going to do like the old rabbis. We want to be sure we pray over the meal. The rabbis of old would pray over the grapes. They'd pray over the rain. They'd pray over every drop of rain. They wanted to be sure that you knew how valuable you were to them. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts because the more that we generate a thankful heart, the more that we generate that, the more blessed we are, the more people are encouraged. It causes other people to be gracious and good to others. God, I pray in your name, in Jesus' name, that you would just do in Jesus' name what we cannot do. We want to be better. A no-complaint day, we might be a little more bold to do it now after you've spoken to us than we did at the beginning of this message. We might just want to try out if we can go through one day, maybe half a day, without thinking of a complaint, without murmuring, without arguing with anybody, and just loving you, just being available to you, Jesus just in case there's someone here that you've never really came to the knowledge of a personal relationship in Jesus, I'm going to ask everybody here and online, thousands of you online, to repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, Jesus, forgive me. me. I've made mistakes, mistakes. and I need your favor. I I have messed my life up. I I have forgotten you. I have overlooked you, but I'm taking you for granted. But this morning, I'm coming home. I'm asking you, cleanse my heart, purify my mind, 
receive me. You are now my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You see, here's the beauty of our Heavenly Father. He desires to bless you. He desires to touch you. He desires to meet your name. I'm reminded before we get in the altar of the pastor who went over seas to Africa and the Bush area. He was the preacher that night. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Africans there. And they were singing, they had the music. They were worshiping and he thought, wow, the worship's going on and on and on. They're taking now that's hot, sweaty, no air conditioning, no fans. He turned to his interpreter. He said, you know, it's getting late. I'm supposed to preach tonight. Oh, don't you worry. He says, what you don't understand, Pastor, is most of these people, many of them pastor in the bush. He said, they have to hide to have church. The military militia, if they knew they were worshiping our God, they'd kill them. They can't sing out loud. They barely can sing above a whisper. They can't express themselves for fear that they'll be noticed, for fear that their life will be taken. But once a year, when they come here, and many of them walked for days to get here, here they know they're safe. And so now when they sing, it's like all that pent-up worship is in them. And they can raise their hands and they can sing to the top of their voices and they can dance and really worship like they want to worship that they can't do back home hiding from the militia. He said, that's why they're taking a while. And pastor, you can preach for two plus hours. It won't bother them at all because this is a celebration for them. He said, well, what song are they singing? Give thanks. Give thanks for grateful heart. If you need prayer as we sing this song, you slip down right now. We'll pray for you, and I'll give you the benediction in a moment. Here we go, everybody.